Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Pozornost, Pozornost, which is, of course, Slovenian for Achtung, Achtung. 80 years ago this week, Slovenian partisans fought the Battle of Drasgorje, I think, against... Um, uh, that I felt did, good. That sounded good. It, it sounded good in itself, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Against no, no, but, you know, <laughs> I think if it sounds right, it is right. Oh, gosh, that is not true with languages. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it is, it follows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you say things with confidence, that's all right. Exactly, the point is to be confident. Occupying uh, Against occupying Nazi forces, it was the first direct conflict between the two and ended in the Germans destroying the village. Oh, God. Um, uh, also, this week, um, Adolf Hitler sacked General Oberst Erich Höpner after ordering his forces to pull back from the Eastern Front without approval. Herpner was removed from command and had his pension cancelled. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you Could know, have been worse, though. Yes, but, I mean, now was the time to pull back um, on the Eastern Front, sort of shorten your lines, consolidate, and all that, wasn't it? If we're yeah, 80 years but, ago... You know, yeah, but I... <laughs> yes. Um, but, but, also, <laughs> but also, you know, you kind of think... OK, you got a pension cancelled and you got sacked, but you're still alive... Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, you can't really say for kind of Soviet equivalents, can you? Mm, no, maybe not. No, no, no. Are you we're not lunging towards some sort of Nazis are better than Soviets? Um, this early in the new year, Jim? No, Blimey. no, no, no. Blimey. no, but it always strikes me as very, you know, I'm always surprised up until kind of the July yeah, but that's, 1944. No one ever gets, you know, they get sacked, but, but no one but gets that's an in, that's an interesting, but that's an interesting point, isn't it? That, 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 Hitler's power on on lots of levels isn't absolute in the, it, certainly in dealing with the army. He has always he always has this thing where he's trying to keep them on side rather than rather than actually tell them what to do. he's trying to keep them on side really trying to you know he's still because he because it's only 2 years 3 years since the army you know really needed bringing in and uh, uh and he must know there's resentment from from how he took control of the army. I mean, it's, you know, there's, 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 it's all much more, it's all subtler than it appears. And also he might need him again later, which is the, which is the, the thing that keeps happening. Uh, absolutely. It's firing. It is and, nonetheless interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah, just it's really, really that, interesting. That, that he can sort of rant and rave and shower you with a spittle, but, but, uh, and you can be reduced to a quivering wreck. But at the end of the day, you just go home to your kind of your country pad. Yeah. 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 Spend a bit more time with, you know, with Frau Hoepner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, which, yeah. you know, that will serve on the Eastern Front. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But if you're, I don't know anything about Hoepner. Is he the sort of an upright Prussian chap who thinks yeah, serving the army yeah, is his yeah, duty? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. So obviously if this is kind of, you know, you might as well just sort of, you know, do what the Japanese do and sort of tear out his entrails because, you know, such has been the humiliation of being sacked by the Fuhrer. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, well, it's a different way of looking at life. <laughs> anyway, good morning or good afternoon, <laughs> good evening and uh, happy jog, happy drive, happy idle listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and of course, James Holland. It's our first regular show of the new year and it is great to be back. Um, uh, I had an 
excellent festive season. I gave the Colonel Saul David's book, um, SBS uh, Secret Warriors, whatever it was. Was he making notes? <laughs> he basically at the kitchen table goes, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture it. And he's going, it he seems it. to have left out so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the really interesting thing he said, and I and I think this was very interesting to hear from the Colonel, seeing as he, you know, Red Beret Special Forces, he says, yes, but you know what? These people, it's it's nothing like being an infantryman or an armoured soldier in a regular unit where you've got start lines to cross every other day. Completely no. different. Completely, <laughs> yes, they're, yes, they're well trained and they're well motivated, but they haven't. They're, they're not. It's nothing like the strain of of being. No, I would agree with that. And 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 I and I think that's the that's that's probably one of the one of the sort of distortions in the narrative that you get is you do get these amazing, these amazing people who do do extraordinary things and who do, you know, paddle on their own into, into some harbor and creep about and attach limpet mines. But that's not like being an infantryman who, you know, slogging through land, operation Blackcock. Well, well, exactly. And maybe you land two weeks after D-Day. So you don't get to do that again, the headline battle, because after all with the, with the, with the, with the narrative of Normandy, it's all about D-Day rather than just the thing we talked to, Paul Woodridge about, you know, last year. Or was it the year before? Everything's starting to merge in my mind. Um, uh, but you know, you know what I mean? That, that, that if you're if you're somebody who arrived two weeks after D-Day, you've then got start lines all the way to the Baltic. Yeah. You know, yep. and you know you're got... on the 43rd Wessex Division and suddenly yeah. you're, you know, you arrive in, in Normandy and, and it's kind of Hill 112. Yeah. Oh, Subject of which, um, uh, we were we went we went down to um, Devon last week, and we went to Exeter Cathedral, and the Book of Condolence there oh, was nice, open. isn't it? Yes, it's lovely. I really really liked I really liked the cathedral there. Not quite as show busy as the as Salisbury. I've taken to doing cathedrals. That's one of my sort of. It's a great Salisbury... thing to do. Have you read that book by Christopher Somerville? No. Oh, it's a it's a brilliant book about it's 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 a it's an informal, lovely history, sort of narrative history of cathedrals, and he sort of wanders oh. around going and seeing them all. It's called something oh. something. Uh, what's it called? Oh, it'll come back to me. But it's, it'll it's come a back really to lovely someone book. Will, someone will tell us. Um, uh, uh, but but the 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 book of remembrance um, for the Wessex Division was open um, on August the fifteenth, nineteen forty four, and. Uh, and you have each of the men that each of the men killed big and and a lot of people from a um headquarters platoon as far as i could work out from reading it wow um and you're suddenly taken to, you know you're taken to that that late overlord battlefield basically um uh, uh um, so what, what date was it again the 16th august the 15th well that's a that's a day when they're about to cross the noro with the Sherwood rangers yeah there you go yeah. How about Next that? day, sixteenth is the day they cross the Noro. Yeah, yeah. And the seventeenth are in Berju, and it's a it's a horror show. This and it's the twenty people on each page, two pages open, and 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 that and it was lots of headquarters platoon people. So I don't know what I don't know I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, let's do our housekeeping and then and then and then digress, shall we? Should we do uh, that? Ships, we do that ships of Heaven is called Ships of Heaven was the name of that. Ships book. of Heaven, oh, fantastic. It's really um, good right. actually. Um, mind you, there was a video in Exeter Cathedral um, that described the bombing of uh, Exeter Cathedral because one of the chapels was destroyed in 1942, I think. And um, it, uh, according to the animation, the RAF bombed Lubeck with a B-17 um, and Lubeck is somewhere near, somewhere in Bavaria, and <laughs> judging by the animation, and then Stukas 
uh, bombed the city of Exeter at night in 1942. Judging by the judging by the animation, but I don't know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm in there going. Well, this is quite interesting. <laughs> Do you think the colonel would have had words with with the staff at Exeter Cathedral in a way that no, you haven't? No, I'm I'm sure he wouldn't. I'm sure he wouldn't. He's far too polite. It's it's he keeps his grumbles to his inner circle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's do our housekeeping. Uh, thank you to everyone who bought a We Have Ways calendar. It enabled us to make a donation to DKMS um, of two hundred twenty eight. If you don't, if you're a new listener, you don't know what DKMS is. Um, it's the uh, Blood uh, Stem Cell Donation Service um, who uh, help people uh, who are fighting blood cancer. And if you get on the Blood Stem Cell Donation Register, you become a lifesaver and potential. One day you may get a phone call that says, "We need you to donate." You, you may not though, which is why this is a proper. No one's called me yet. No, no, but, but, me yet, but no, but, but you, the fact you is, know. you're on the, the fact is, you're on the database, Jim, and that's I what am. really matters. Because well, also the other thing, yeah, go on. Well, because the more people they can look at, the more DNA they can look at, the more the more chance they have of knowing what it is they're looking for really in blood stem cells. So, so the more information they've got, the more candidates they've got, the chances of saving people's lives increase, basically. Well, um, come the spring, my daughter Daisy and I, we are going to be walking from home here yeah. in the Chalk Valley to Winchester in one day, which is 35 miles. So Amazing. we're going to do that in one day for DKMS. And I'm also, at the same time, I'm going to auction off that... Um, brilliant painting by um, Keith Burns. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Hold on, I've got it just here. It's, he's now delivered it to me. Um, here we go. Um, I'll put that, I'll post that up, actually. But Oh, um, look at that. Oh, that's brilliant, Jim. Well, you'll keep us, you'll keep us, and I'll be doing, there'll be some other DKS fundraising and uh, stuff to come. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed family stories this week. What an extraordinary story that was about the Mad Dane, a pilot in Bomber Command. I mean, uh, it was Andrew Panton at um, uh, East Kirkby uh, um, Aviation Centre where they have the Lancaster, where we filmed yes. last summer, wasn't it? It was last yes. summer. Like I said, my brain is beginning to, it's all beginning to merge. Um, uh, where we went and filmed beneath the Lancaster and roved around the Lancaster. Um, so if you, if the, the, how they, that family acted on that story and that heritage is absolutely amazing and worth going to see um, if you get a chance if you're in Lincolnshire or, or go to Lincolnshire. Um, now, um, and you've given us uh, plenty of stories so we can extend the current run of family stories. Right. Also, yeah, there's been some terrific ones this this. I have, haven't they? Yeah, this and season. It's, it's always very, very moving. Isn't yeah. It? It's the problem, really. If you're driving, don't I, I tend to find it's not the right thing to listen to when I'm driving because I get, you know. You get a slightly wobbly bottom lip. Exactly. A wobbly bottom lip, blurred vision. Um, now, uh, <laughs> uh, not uh, conducive we, uh... to motorway driving. <laughs> Now then, the We Have Ways Festival tickets are available to the general public. This is our second summer festival, and it takes place over the weekend of July the 22nd to the 24th. Um, uh, there'll be tons of speakers and big guns and tanks and beer. That is a promise. Um, tickets are available on our website, um, wehavewayspod.com slash festival. And I um, I listened to uh, Thursday's podcast, which, which was recorded at the festival. Um, yeah, I did too, uh, actually, because I'd sort of forgotten what we talked about. Well, exactly. Apart and from also, the kind of bare bones. I, I tend not to listen to, to you and me talking. I, no, because I it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, I can't do that. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it's like the answer phone message voice times a million, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. And I have a bad oh. enough, you know, I mean, you, you, you may have this problem too, is when I film something, when I've made something, I really, I really have to be dragged kicking and screaming to watch it. Um, I'm not, I don't find it pleasant. 
Um, anyway, uh, the, 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 the chat, though, we had, I thought was um, uh, really, really... Well, it's because you're talking... You know, what, what, what I realised quite a long time ago is, is that actually, you know, while it's brilliant to, to read other academics and talk to other academics, it's also really good. There's a whole host of people who know absolutely tons, which is beyond the academic yeah. bubble, so to yeah. speak. yeah. And actually, someone talking to someone like Keith Brigstock. I mean, you can't tell me that there's a there's a academic in a university anywhere in the world who knows more about artillery than Keith Brigstock. No, who's no. never been anywhere near a university. But there's a huge value in talking to someone like him because he really knows what he's talking about because well, he's he, learned from the process of doing. Yeah, exactly. And doing, and then and then t t taking his his contemporary knowledge and looking back. And you know, I thought the really interesting thing is how much is the same and how much is different. How much they've simply they've simply continued um, because the practices work, you know, worked so well and are trainable and all that. Because that's the other thing is you you know, you've you've. I think that really struck me is obviously how they'd come up way with with a way of doing stuff that you could train people straightforwardly to learn. You know that that, that after all, it's all very well inventing pieces of military tech, but you've got they've got to be user you know user friendly i suppose to use a modern parlance haven't they they've got to be a thing that people can get their heads around and use and artillery after all because it involves it involves all that sort of you know one end a lot of logarithmic maths and uh uh and geometry and all that sort of thing and then at the other end the business of doing something in a super ordered structure repetitively accurately all that sort of stuff you know that that, that i mean and the other thing i was really struck by was the sheer physicality of it that if you are unpacking lots and lots of ammunition and then, and then as he said, those commandos in the Falklands had to pack it all back up, you know, unpacking ammunition. He says, if you go on those, it was an army air corps shoot. He said, where they, they stop firing yeah, quite right. early in the day. So you have to then pack all the ammunition back up. Yeah, again. Wasn't that Just how ball breaking and exhausting the whole thing is. I think that was really, really interesting. And because after, you know, and to be tangential, you know, Milligan, Milligan's combat fatigue comes from being exhausted from all the work that goes on. In, you set a battery up, you dig it in, you unpack the ammunition, you create the dumps, you get ready to go. Uh, you, you maybe do a shoot, maybe you don't, maybe you immediately then have to pack it all back up and, and move on and finding the time, you know, because I think we think of the infantryman as sleep deprived, the guy right in the teeth as the as the person who doesn't get any sleep for all the noise and all the aggro but the artillery for their constant physicality and setting up it's exhausting work i, th I thought that was that was a thing you know because i've always because because you i've sort of thought of it in terms of you know you've got a forward observation officer foo like and that sort of that involves someone being able to map read and somebody able to do the sums and somebody able to you know really know where they are and have a proper navigational understanding and 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 all that but at the other end is the is the bloke the gunner lifting the shells and they only get bigger and heavier as the war continues i thought it was such an interesting chat yeah i mean the other thing of course of course is is just the operating in the terrain and because so much yeah. emphasis is put on firepower by by um certainly by i don't know beginning of night well second half of 1942 really I mean, yeah. it's all about firepower isn't it yeah and and you know when whether you're sort of operating in Tunisia or Sicily or southern Italy or or, or wherever it might be, you know it's, it's fascinating they were sort of getting way of the getting rid of the limbers because the limbers was just not providing enough ammunition. You need yeah. to have a whole truck full of yeah. the stuff to come with yeah. you. So that's the level of of expenditure that you're talking about, yeah. which these guys are all having to manhandle. Yeah, and you know and you think about you know operating on the move in in somewhere like yeah Sicily or or, or southern Italy. Yeah. 
you know particularly in the sort of winter as we know winters were bad but i mean you know you you've got to you, you know you, you'd go up and <laughs> that's the first here. one of the year everybody first one that's of the, year. the first winters were bad of the year <laughs> <laughs> just like dropping in but but you know you you're going up a very sort of narrow road to a hill yeah you know having prized off the germans you've then got to go down the other side but once you get to the valley below there's another hill where the Germans are already at, so they're firing at you. As they've retreated, they've blown up the road, so the engineers have got to go ahead yeah. and kind of do a detour or, or whatever yeah. it might be. You've got to yeah. get across that. Then you've got to dig into your next position. Yeah. You know, it's 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 we sat over and over again, and, and you know, it's one of the things that, that was such a strong strong resonated so strongly when I was doing the show with Rangers. It's 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 yeah. the relentlessness of it. It's just no let up. Yeah, it just I mean goes the... on and on. I mean, so the, it's no the, wonder these guys get knackered. But the but the 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 I think the um the thing with the limbers though also indicates in Normandy also suggests that what's happened in Normandy as well is the battlefield has come that little bit more static than they're planning for, and so actually you do end up with dumps. You're not moving as much and as fast as as you'd hoped because because after all the Allies are, are planning for a war of firepower and manoeuvre. They're, they're, they're hoping that by their firepower, they create manoeuvre opportunities. That doesn't happen really in Normandy. You know, things slow down a lot more. So you're not, you're not moving your batteries as often uh, under such pressure, are you? Certainly, certainly, sort of, certainly sort of middle eight weeks, middle six weeks of the Normandy campaign, when things do become quite static. The bit people call bogged down, that isn't bogged down at all. It's a, you know... So it's all, it's all right, really. Bit. It's a traditional bit, but you know what I mean. It's that. It's that. Yeah. But but that but that that there's flex in it because I I'm, I was reading um uh, 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 uh um David French's book raising 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 Churchill's army uh, um which you've got somewhere. Yeah, I'm I'm. This is sort of next on my list. So the BEF finished going through Barons. So the the BEF shipping. I mean, it's interesting. This the BEF was designed to operate forty miles from a railhead. That was its maximum. Uh, uh, radius of operations, and that once you are clear of the railhead, then you're on. Then you're into sort of limber transport and all that sort of thing. So isn't right. that a bit of a problem with the dial plan? Well, there you go. <laughs> there it is. Eighty-five miles or so, whatever it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but there's your instantly, instantly your problem. And it's Percy Hobart who, in the interwar years, uh, uh, whose life is absolutely fascinating. You know that why? Hope, you know why he was so out of favour. Why he was no. such an unpopular character? Two reasons. He said he wanted to run a pig stick. Well, he's put in charge of first um, armored uh, uh, armor brigade um, in or first tank brigade in between the wars, which is like an experimental outfit where he's allowed to he's allowed to do all the tank thinking. So that it's interesting that Hobart comes back later in the war. You know, he's brought back in uh, 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 by he gets Churchill's attention and finally gets Brooks' protection, right? Um, uh, during the war but Brooke, but 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 so he's crashed around pissing everyone off saying the tank is the answer and basically trying to spend everyone's budgets on experimental tank stuff in the mid 30s right so he's the sort of he's the he's the sort of and he's also where cruiser tanks infantry tanks where all these ideas are going on and, and he's sort of got a pressure pressure cooker coming up with this stuff but one of the reasons he's really not very popular is he has an affair with a student's wife when he's a when he's teaching at Camberley, he gets divorced and she is named as a correspondent in the divorce. He then marries this woman and everything, but it's like totally bad form. Absolutely diabolical, 
bad form and it gets brought up again and again. So when he's brought back into the army and for, you know, cause he goes, cause, the, cause he's thrown out. But he, but he had an affair and married one of his students. Yeah. Well, students' wives. Yeah. Students' wives. He's thrown out. He's thrown, you know, so he's, so he's thrown out in, in 1940 because he's really making a nuisance of himself. He's too old, you know, and also has... This and then joins of, the Home Guard, doesn't he? Then joins the Home Guard, famously. But, but when he's returning, there's plenty of people going, can't have anything to do with this this bloke. He, uh, you know... He he's had bad form. He's bad form. He had an affair with one of his students' wives and we're really, we are, we can't have anything to do with him. And it's really, really interesting. And there's this... There's this thing where, in the end, eventually Brooke basically go, but Brooke basically moves to protect him and moves to say, right, okay, you can no do what you want. On this exactly, but he raises seventh, you know, seventh armoured. He, he raises all these formations, but he then doesn't get to command, and they keep being sent off, you know, without him in charge. Raises, you know, it, 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 really, really interesting, and he gets more and more upset about that. But they know they need him to raise armour armoured formations and train them and all that sort of stuff. So he ends up in this sort of weird training nexus where he can't do anything. And then, of course, he's a, then, of course, when D-Day comes and he gets his funnies through, they come to him and say, do some radical thinking. And then from then on, he's at every big decision-making uh, thing on the British side, yeah, at yeah. least. He's, you know, attached to headquarters and all that sort of stuff and becomes hugely influential. There's, there's, there's this really funny bit where, in his career, where he writes to his wife going, because, of course, he's Montgomery's brother-in-law is the other thing to remember because Montgomery, Monty married his sister. So there's one bit where he goes, you know, Monty's, I've got, I've been, a, you know, I've, I've got to go see the great, the Generalissimo or whatever. Um, Monty, he's less bumptious than he used to be. He seems to have grown up. And it, it, and he's, so, but, but, but. So is that all in raising Churchill's army? No, that, that some of that's in, um, a lot of that is, and, and, and a lot of that, a lot of the stuff about so what Hobart uh, one of the things Hobart really pushes for is core sized dumps so that you can operate away from a railhead and that's one of his big one of his big innovations is that you you can't do stores in penny packets you need big big dumps where anyone can come and rearm and refuel and on a core scale because obviously the forty mile railhead thing is a is a real problem and and. They shake that, but also the, the big railhead is, is, is you know that that that's just some sort of logisticians who've just kind of sort of come up with that. I mean, it's not. Yes, it is. Because, yeah, and then no one's had an opportunity to 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 test it because exactly it's been the interwar period. But that's the mechanism. But that but that's your mechanized BEF, the mechanized BEF of nineteen forty. That's that's its that's its game plan. So when we talk about the BEF being the most mechanized and everything, it's still the the the, the, the constraints within that. W w that that has subjected itself to are this 40 mile railhead thing which then of course means your tanks have to be rail transportable not road transportable you know blah, blah, the blah, 1930s road traffic tra traffic blah blah blah, blah. And, and and then the size of the gun you can fit to the tank and all and, and it all feeds back into that but but hobart is doing hobart is doing a lot of the really radical thinking about all this in the in the in the mid 30s and pushing for all sorts of stuff uh, but but blots his copybook by having an affair, and I That's think it's amazing. It, it, it's it uh, and that that I got from is John Keegan's book called Churchill's Generals, which is you know a series oh, of yes. snap, series of snapshots of everybody, um, uh, everybody worth knowing about. But Hobart Hobart is such a peculiar and interesting character because obviously he rubbed people up the wrong way, but that's because he's he's basically sees himself as a as a prophet, 
Um, and not in the little Hartwell way, because he's doing it in the army. He's not. He's yeah. not. He's not, he's not doing about it, it outside it. Exactly. As a as a as a journalist who, after all, needs to create. Well, and as we know, and as we know from Francis Chica, I mean, you know, prophets make themselves unpopular because they're going against the grain of current thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're, they're saying something different and sticking their neck out. And and one of the part of the culture of the British Army and indeed the Indian Army is that you don't stick your neck out. You you toe the line and you, you know, you're part of a team and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's there's so much, you know, there's so much criticism about, about stodginess. Um, of the Allied armies in the Second World War, and particularly the British, you know, and that comes from Churchill himself saying, you know, I've got all yeah. these men, you know, why can't you get a move on? And it's like, yeah. well, it's it's a very good idea to be incredibly mechanised. It's a very good idea to have lots and lots of firepower because that does limit the number of people you've got at the, yeah. at the absolute yeah. spearhead. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why you can have 14% infantry and 8% in tanks because you've got this massive long tail behind you. Yeah. But the flip side of that is it makes you, at times, quite slow because... It's not easy marshalling all that that yeah. huge weight of well, fire and all those vehicles, particularly yeah. if you're you know in difficult terrain. Uh, and I do remember really, really clearly. I remember I, I was looking at the Trasimeno line battle, which took place between I think it was the uh, was it twentieth of June to the thirtieth of June. It was a ten day battle, and and the the line advanced about ten miles. Yeah, and, and this has always been seen as a kind of sort of. You know, this is really slow, failure. really slow failure. Kind of, you know, okay, they got there in the end, but bloody hell, what a slog! And yeah, we'll yeah. Talk about a palaver, and and I was I was doing a recce out there um, with a whole bunch of army guys who had just come back from Afghanistan. I think yeah. they were the light dragoons. There was yeah. a light dragoon, a guy from the Welsh Guards, a couple of others. Yeah. And we were looking at this terrain, which is is you know from from the from the hills of Tuscany, kind of looks quite flat but it's it's a bit like the yeah. Leary Valley when you get there it's not flat at all it's lots of folds and hills and little kind of nips and tucks all over the place and we were looking at this ground and I was saying you know they went from here to here and this took four days to get from here to here and they yeah. all just they just went oh, I think it's a pretty good game <laughs> I mean, really I said you know because that's generally considered to be kind of pretty stodgy they went no 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 in this terrain in, in those circumstances I think that's you know ten, 10 miles in 10 days A1 really well, that... Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean that, and, and, yeah. and it makes you realise that so much of history is about armchair historians. You sit in their, well, and, you know, their uh, well, studies and... with their leather patches on their uh, their sweaters well, or their corduroy jackets, and and actually don't really know what they're talking about. Well, um, but armchair historian number one is Winston Churchill when it comes to, yeah, of course, of course, because he's been in the trenches and he's kind of gathered around Omdurman and and been in Cuba and and kind of you know been in the northwest frontier. But that was a long time ago, and things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and know, he's never all, fought in a mechanised war, has he? Well, well, an Omdurman, you're not fighting a first-class enemy either, are you, at all? <laughs> no, uh, which, which he was disgusted by, by. Which he was disgusted by at the time, of course. Um, but, but you know... Rather relished in retrospect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, but, 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 I mean, he's... Well, I'll tell you what, we'll take a brief break and then we'll come back to the, the other thing that's really been... That's really that's really been on my mind <laughs> with all the reading I've been doing, um, which, which we're, touch, we're touching on anyway. We will see you in a tick. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, uh, now, if there have been some commercials, then we haven't paused for breath. In actual fact, um, we'd straight back to it. Well, so that so that so this so the the, the really interesting thing in um, uh, that uh, raising Churchill's army is he talks about, and that's quite an old book. I can't remember when it was published. Um, well, let's have a look. I've got it right, it, li- literally, right next to me. Oxford University Press. David French, 2000, so 20, 20, right. one or two that years book, ago. That book, is it, it goes on and on about steel, not flesh. Um, uh, right. Um, but to the I point where... I haven't read it. Which, to, point, to the point where it's completely baked into the book. So he'll say, because of course, bearing in mind, you know, steel, not flesh is the, the way they're, 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 they're doing things. The really interesting point he makes is that, is that, and you've just touched on it that you know you can't go that quick in difficult terrain if you've got you just can't you, you literally yeah. cannot. But he said one of the interesting things he says is that the problem and it, and again this touches on the gunnery we we're talking about is if that's what you've decided to do, then what happens is you have to you have to select uh, and you know the, the, the difficult way of difficult way of sort of talking around this is you end up needing people who can do technical tasks which means the people who end up in the infantry aren't necessarily your best and brightest. It, exactly. And the problem is, and he says, and, and that applies to officers as well. And he says, the problem is that infantry officers actually need to be, um, the, the, it's the hardest bit of soldiering, infantrying. It's the most difficult part because an artillery officer, it's pretty, you know, it, what, what he has to do is pretty linear in a way. Rel- relatively, I mean, obviously, we're, not, we, we're, we're into the land of generalisation here. But the point he makes is, is that the your infantry, you end up with, your infantry have to do all the really, really tricky bit, the bit where they really need to act on their initiative. And yet you can't, getting the right people into the infantry is that much more difficult, which means you're so reliant on the training being good and the training being really up to scratch 
that when it isn't, that's when things go wrong. And you can have excellent everything else, excellent uh, armor, excellent artillery and everything. But if your infantry aren't, if your infantry aren't up to scratch through no fault of their own, because they've not been trained properly, that's where your problems begin. And, and you, I mean, it's interesting because, because that book really is about, is about Northwest Europe. It's not, it doesn't get into Burma or whatever, but when you look, that's an identical. But, but, but that all applies, right? It all applies. It, in fact, it applies. You look at first Arakan, it's all about that. And it, and it's all about how in the end, the training systems haven't delivered officers who are capable of thinking their way around these problems, let alone, let alone infantry subalterns. And he, and he really goes into the offer, you know, officer selection, officer training, fascinating thing that, that, Divisional commanders in Normandy, you know, they they shake it all up. OCTU changes they bring in Wasby, the whole army boards thing, the whole thing to try and to, you know, I mean, in a way, sort of uh, make sure that it's not just posh people who are killed in high numbers. Everyone gets an opportunity. The British army, British army democratizes itself, and anyone from any class can be exposed to the rigors of being an infantry subaltern. But but the divisional commanders don't notice a qualitative difference after all these reforms come through. It's whether you're grammar school or whatever, it's whether they're well, it's not what kind of chap they are, it's whether they're well trained. And the training is the, the training is is the is where it all falls back on. So so when people go, oh well, you know, think about one of the things people like often bandy about, say Montgomery's ago, is oh, he's an awful bloke, he's an excellent trainer of men. Well, well, if it's all about, but it's all about the training. So what you've what you've said is he was. He was really good at his job, and Slim's interest. Slim is Slim is interesting in that regard as well, because I think I think there there are some interesting similarities with Slim and Montgomery. By the time Slim has full reign in forty three, you know, by the time Fourteenth Army exists, Mountbatten's in place. He's got Savory as Inspector of Infantry, Orkinlex backing. He's got the backing, and Slim essentially becomes autocratic in the way he runs. 14th Army. It's his way or the highway. In the same way that Montgomery understands the way to make the British Army work is to be autocratic, to get it to do what you think you can get it to do within its limitations, to be autocratic. It's just that Monty likes acting the autocrat and playing it. And Slim eschews that, doesn't do that as his sort of display. He still, yeah. he nevertheless, he still, he, nevertheless he still is. He still fires people who don't do their malaria discipline. He still fires people. Who, who aren't gripping their, you know, companies properly. You know, right down to battalion, he's got his eye on absolutely everything. He still is an autocrat, but he plays the humble chap. Um, he also understand, he understands that spiritual level, doesn't he? He understands yeah. that there's a, there's a, that he, he, Monty absolutely gets morale as well. There's no question about yeah. that. But, 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 but he's but, playing but, this sort of, but because, I, and I think it's because, I think it's because Monty is a bishop's son, so he thinks what you need is to do sermons, sermons from your pulpit that pet people up. So he's come at it, he's coming at it ecclesiastically, as it were. But, Whereas but Slim does the Slim's same. A but Slim's a teacher, so Slim or was yes, a teacher. Yes, and, he's, but, and he's, but he's still standing up on his. He's still oh, yeah. arriving and in, in, on his jeep, standing on the on the on the back and then gather around me men which is exactly yeah. what monty does it's yeah. exactly the same thing but he's talking to them in a different way. and also what he monty does exactly the same speech to everybody in the run-up yeah. to d-day yeah. whereas slim recognizes that that's not going to work because he's got you know he's got patans and he's got yeah. Gurkhas, yeah, yeah. he's got and he's got scousers and jocks yeah. and he's got you yeah. know, men from devon um, yeah. And and they need a slightly and subtly different, sometimes subtly and suddenly and sometimes quite dramatically different different approach. 
but 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 it's that realization that that also which is is first hinted at by alexander uh, when he does his write-up from the retreat of Burma, that, that yeah. actually what you want to do is you, you don't want to treat this as, as kind of normal battle lines fighting. Yeah. This is asymmetric yeah. warfare is what's required yeah. here. And, and yeah. you know, actually, I mean, again, Alexander twigs very, very quickly that 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 as long as you stand still and don't cede ground... The, yeah. the Japanese are soon getting in, in, into trouble. So that that's yeah. why the interplay between air power is so important. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Slim gets that, obviously, very, very quickly, but also recognises that in this new asymmetric kind of fighting, this new asymmetric world, what you need to do is you need to make an asset of your, your environment, not not an enemy. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of it, isn't it? Part of, part of the, the problem of the Japanese Superman is him suddenly springing out of the jungle from nowhere. But if you're yeah. the one who's doing the springing out of places and surprising people and ambushing people... Well, and you have to make you have to you have to make him stick to you, you, so that he's stuck with you, rather than able to move. Which is why you patrol aggressively, because the best way to know where the enemy is is to be in contact with him, um, uh, and then he has to be in contact with you. Because, uh, uh, which brings me to, and uh, you are absolutely absolutely going to love this. So this is um, this is uh, I found I've been you know groping around for stuff for my book because I'm writing about Slim at the moment. I've got myself a military training pamphlet number nine, India, the Jungle Book. Yeah, no, no, I'm very excited about that. I don't know how, why that or how that hasn't been on my radar. I've got so many training pamphlets in this room. Fourth um, edition. That's not one. Okay, so Fourth what edition. is it? Just to say it again. Military training pamphlet number nine, brackets India, the Jungle Book, and this is this is the fourth edition from September '43, and this is the this is the so the. This pamphlet, the preface, this pamphlet is written to assist commanders in training their units to fight the Japanese in jungles. It contains much of the available information, uh, which has been gained from experience of recent operations in Southeastern Asia, and it gives lessons which have been learned at, at sometimes at a great price. It should be read in conjunction with the pamphlet, Japanese in Battle Enemy Methods, and can be regarded as being part to the pamphlet. In principle, point two, in principle, there's nothing new in jungle warfare, but the environment of the jungle is new to many of our troops. Anyway, right? So... That's what point one preface, point two's, point two's topography, point three's jungle craft, you know, several paragraphs of that, point four, general tactics, pages of that, right? Uh, five notes on the various arms, infantry gets several pages, artillery, again, you know, emphasis on speed and gunnery, artillery in the attack, engineers, plenty for the sappers, the Corps of Engineers to worry about, aircraft in general, and then, uh, then you've the advance, Advanced the broad front, front, so broad front, so you're always potentially flanking the enemy. The encounter battle, frontal and flanking attacks, right? Yeah. But point 11, uh, and you're going to like point 11, yeah. point 11 is about withdrawal. So point 10 is patrolling, which is, after all, the, the absolute key to jungle fighting. You're always patrolling. Everyone is trained for a patrol. Everyone knows what the patrol is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Point 11 is called withdrawal. And in capitals, it says there will be no withdrawal. That's brilliant, isn't it? And that's it. There is no more on the subject of withdrawal. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, doesn't that remind you of the Ghazala line? There will be no going back from here. Well, it's the Alamein line is when he's Alamein line, rather. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Alamein yeah, line. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. That, 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 yes, in the really. end, in the end, what you need. That within the, all the British army systems and Duke systems, in the end, what you need is finally someone to say, 
there will be no withdrawal. On an official level, someone has to say it. And then, all right, okay, there'll be no withdrawal. Because one of the things I did over the holidays is um, because we had uh, Decline and Fall, uh, um, you know, sorry, Sword Sword of Honour as uh, one of our books. I've gone on and read the bit about Crete, which is which is after all the classic section of um of the war uh, evelyn war um and that's you know that's all withdrawal and and there's the bit where trimmers back in london they're going oh there's going to be no withdrawal this time that's what we've been told but what it takes is someone to say there was someone high up to put in a manual or in an order there will be no withdrawal and then the withdrawal stop <laughs> it's, it's, amazing, from, isn't it? it's, it's amazing and uh, uh, we can't from, withdraw because we're not allowed to yeah, we're call, exactly. We're not allowed to withdraw, I'm afraid, chaps. It's it's so interesting. But this ju- the, so the, the the jungle manual is on the cover of the jungle manual of this manual is an arm, a hand that has good training written on it, and in in it, writhing and wriggling is a Japanese all stereotypes observed. By the way, cartoon of a Japanese soldier writhing and wriggling in the grasp of good training. It's it's so interesting, but but basically, um, uh, uh, I mean, uh, this this pamphlet has has got has got everything, and this this idea that that lack of visibility means you can't see the enemy, but it also means he can't see you, and yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, there being disease everywhere affects you, but it affects him too. So you know, in the end, once you've once you've got the got your head around the jungle conditions, they're essentially neutral, that they're 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 a disadvantage to both of you, but it just it also makes you sort of think. You compare it to to the Northwestern theatre of operations. Yeah. Is that just how dangerous the battlefield is in itself as an environment. You know, yeah, unbelievable because you've got, you know, you've got gargantuan numbers of diseases. Yeah. You know, snakes, elephants crashing through. I mean, you know, not to be taken lightly. Yeah. Well, the American, the, the American Jungle Book, you know, lists them. Malaria, elephantiasis. Uh, intestinal dengue diseases, dengue fever, typhus, fever, typhoid, paratyphoid fever, Hepatitis gonorrhea. A and B. Yeah, gonorrhea is just about syphilis, granuloma, inguinalid, and all this fungal infections, tropical ulcers, parasitic infections, and then and then heat exhaustion, sunstroke, pneumonia. You know, I mean it. it well, I've just, I, I mean, one of the um, extracts that I did was um, the the um, narrow road to the deep north, the Richard Flanagan yeah, novel. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a book! I mean, yeah. unbelievable. I don't know if you've read it, but the the, the bits about the the sections on the the, the Thai Burma railway are just incredible. I mean, he has really yeah. done his research, yeah. And the depictions of the just the debilitating process, you know, just just the environment, the yeah. the, the kind of the endless rain, the the sores, the ulcers, the ulcers so bad on your shins that you can see your shin bone and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, what, and what that what that does to you, that sort of lack of food, the lack of nutrition, lack yeah. of fruit, uh, um, exacerbated by, or rather, that's exacerbating the existing diseases yeah. that, that are around typhoid, typhus, yeah, you know, dengue fever, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, just. Yeah. It's a miracle that anyone's well, it, at all, frankly. It's it is incredible, isn't it? It is absolutely. Uh, the and, American... and then trying to fight in there. I mean, where where you've actually have got kind of half decent rations, but even so, I mean, yeah. Blimey, yeah. I've the got American... a little book. I've got a little book that arrived for me, which is um, um, what's it? Jungle Diary about this guy right. who gets sort of um parachuted in to kind of you know help 
coagulate the the Karens in the hills yeah. and it all goes badly wrong and he ends up on this journey through the jungle and stuff. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. I mean, what an environment in which to operate. Well, the, yeah. I mean, the American manual says in jung jungle warfare, the soldier often fights two enemies, man and nature. <laughs> That's Americanized. In jungle warfare, the soldier often fights two enemies, man and nature. The elimination of nature as an enemy and the use of the jungle itself as an ally are training objectives fully as important as the elimination of the human enemy. You will <laughs> utilize the jungle to your uh, advantage. Well, the soldier must be trained not to fight the jungle. He must be capable of living successfully in it and making it work for him against the human enemy. The jungle yeah, nice. is a strict taskmaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, I mean, it's, but it, it's so interesting because a cruel so mistress. It all comes down to training, though, doesn't it? In the end, yeah, yeah, in the end, does, yeah. and then the training, the training generates good morale because if you feel like you're well trained and you know how to deal with situations, your morale will will remain up. But, and, but also, then, I mean, you're you're tackling Tuka as well, aren't you? I mean, you know yeah. your book. I mean, Tuka's great mantra is, "Train hard, fight easy." Yeah. I mean, he just, it's over and over again. And what he does is he, he trains 4th Indian Division within an inch of his life. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in all different different formats. So they're never caught short. So it doesn't matter what yeah. they do, whether they're doing mountain, mountain operations in mountains and the Matmata Hills or whether they're in the open desert, they know what to do. There's no surprises. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's Slim's point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and when you, I mean, the, and the thing is, is, Things the more I the more I the more I've been reading about um, Burma, you sort of think how boneheaded Irwin is. That that uh, I mean, uh, uh, first Arakan, you, you, the more you read about it, oh Christ! And then and then and then, but then Slim. What Slim's very fortunate because he's sort of adjacent to first Arakan, so he gets to watch them make all these mistakes in the offensive as well. So they, he gets up as a sort of advisory role, doesn't he? he gets that's right. Yeah, Irwin, Irwin tries to blame him. Tries, Irwin tries to get him sacked. Um, uh, and and Slim Slim basically says what WTF? And Irwin is then fired himself. I mean, it's it's amazing the amount of time Slim would basically be fired for having um, either for other things. I mean, he was very fortunate not to be fired when he could have been, but to yeah. be you know. Uh, but then he's fired when he shouldn't have been. Well, it's, it's just extraordinary. It's quite extraordinary. It's sort of weird, weird, weird good fortune. But but like but you know he know he sees Irwin get tanks wrong in the in the jungle, and that's really really interesting. He has the opportunity to to see that go wrong, um, and then you know, but by the by the by the time Slim's made his mind up about how to fight in the jungle, he's he he sounds like Guderian when he's talking about how to use tanks. He sounds like he sounds like Guderian. You know, concentration of force, penny packets is a waste. You know, you 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 you. You know, tanks in numbers. Tanks in numbers will deliver a result. If you split them up, they won't. And it's sort of like, well, that that that's that's straight out of Panzer Leader, um, uh, uh, isn't it? I mean, it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, Irwin is a, such an interesting case, Noel Irwin, because you know yeah. he he before he goes to India, he's you know he's he's commanding a brigade, I think, in yeah. Norway. Yeah. You know, you, you're sort of struggling to think of kind of. Two parts of the world that could be more different. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's just, but it's when you see the pe people get their heads around it. I mean, it's one of the, I mean, it is one of these things that the in the British system, the advantage is there isn't a rigorous way of doing it, so that you know the because it's imperial, it needs to be sort of 
decentralized. Flexible and, yeah. But the disadvantages is if the people in charge haven't got the faintest idea, you've really, you know, like Erwin, you've got, you're only going to make problems for yourselves. It, 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 you know, I mean, this is what this is what Slim says about armor. Tanks can be used in almost any country except swamp. In close country, they must always have infantry with them to defend and reconnoiter for them. They should always be used in the maximum numbers available and capable of being deployed. Whenever possible, penny packets must be avoided. The more you use, the fewer you lose. I mean, although the Operation Goodwood, you might argue with that, but <laughs> but it's just interesting. He's and and this he's not. He's not been in armoured battlefields. He's not been around it um, being in, in Burma, has he? It's no, but been... he's also surrounded by good people who do. So, you know, I yeah. mean, it's Frank Messavi who says, yeah. he, who gets sacked from 7th Armoured Division in the desert yeah. for the failings of Gazala. You know, it's nothing to do with him at all. Um, he moves over to India. And then he's the one who says, we should have bigger tanks over here and I'm going to yeah. prove it. And then yeah. does that kind of long trek with a, with a grant. Yeah, or a Sherman yeah. or whatever it was. And, it's and a grant. It's a grant. It's isn't a grant. It? They, it's can't, a grant. They, they, they can only have obsolete types. They're only allowed the crap. Yeah, I wonder whether they just had one or something that was doing a trial. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But but the point is, he's got a thirty-ton tank, and he proves that it can be manoeuvred around and, and brought into brought to bear in the battle. Yeah, and he's then, you know, and, he, and he's you know, he's advising Slim, isn't he? So yeah. presumably, Slim here is is leaning on him a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he it's fought. just. But it's but it's but, together, but, but, it? yeah, but it's but it's really interesting, isn't it? Because because armor's not been successfully applied in that battlefield at all. Um, uh, in fact, with no, it becomes absolutely results. integral to it. Yeah, you know, yeah, the Japanese just don't have any. Yeah, and by the end of by the end by by forty five, you know, when he's when he's when he's doing his hook over the Irrawaddy and all that sort of stuff, um, you know that that's maneuver war, that's proper armor maneuver warfare, like like what like what you see in Europe. Yeah, but that part of Burma is the jungle, don't. is it? That, that sort of, yeah. you know. That's yeah, yeah. So he can do that, but but the, the Japanese have no answer for it. But he's got the he's got the he's got the smarts to be able to figure out how to do that, take a risk on it, and all that sort of thing. Anyway, I think I think we've um, we've we've covered, yeah, we never we've, got on to Jean Moulin, so maybe next week we can talk about him. Next, I think let's do Jean Moulin next week. Yeah, why not? Why you not? Um, uh, the time's going to come, isn't it? When we've been talking about this for longer than the duration of the war. Well, I have thought about that, you know. That'd be a big. That'd be a big moment. Because well, because we, we, we started. If, we, if, if we're still, if we're still keen. Well, we started know. in two thousand and nineteen, didn't we? So this yeah. is this is early forty two. As the <laughs> God, we've been through. So we've been, we've travelled some miles, <laughs> cross mountains, <laughs> oceans. Oh God. God, yeah, that's a fair fair point. I think we we probably have to stop in. 2025 we probably have to only do the six years duration i don't know i mean you may have all you may have all given up on us long before then we shall <laughs> see. anyway we shall see thanks for listening everybody we're back on thursday with um our guest mark to elka talking about the canadians um uh that's a chat well, done canadians a the yeah yeah the shelf yeah yes that absolutely um uh so there's a bit of love well. yeah he's really really good for so knowledgeable um sunday morning there'll be um the latest episode of family stories and we have an audio book free to our Patreon members starting next week. Um, it's a pair of silver wings written, <laughs> by, written by James Holland and uh, read by Willow Murray, um, uh, who did a lovely job on the chamomile lawn over the... Yes, yeah, she um, did. She read it beautifully. Yeah, she did, didn't she? Um, anyway, we will see you all soon. Cheerio for now. Goodbye. Cheerio. Cheerio.